Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 32 of Leppy Duels. It's caddy chat time. We're going to go behind the scenes as we've been doing this offseason every other week, taking a deeper dive into more popular questions from the Leppy Duels episode prior to this one. And uh, last week, the uh, hot topic was the Champions Cup. We had another update this week. Um, it's just me in the studio this week, so we need to make this more interesting. Let's bring in a guest. He is a former PDGA board member and the creator of the Pro Touring Players Committee on the PDGA itself. Um, so let's bring in Mr. Trevor Harbolt. Thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. We enjoy having you every time you're on the show. So let's jump into this Champions Cup stuff. Uh, the latest update from a few days ago, um, just before Thanksgiving, was that the originally scheduled date of April 25 to 28 was back in play. The tournament is staying in Northwood, uh, but moving back to April, which was the original date um, where it was supposed to be held at the IDGC uh, in Georgia. So that falls right between the Music City Open and DDO and kind of makes travel uh, still make sense in that sense. So let's touch on that first, Trevor. Uh, the change and then the change again. And then, I don't know, you could say there's a third change in there as well. But now back where we originally started just at a different course, what's your thought on just in general that whole situation? Uh I think my, my first thought about this is, is why didn't we just look at that in the beginning? Why did we have all this fiasco? Is it just like not, you know, vetting the whole process or, or what? I think that you, you hit some people in the wrong spots when you put it on a, on a European tour spot and, and all that. But I think just, just coming out and saying, um, you know, the same date, like it, it, it's the same day. It was just move it. It's, it's still in the travel arrangements and everything like you're saying, but <clears throat> I just don't understand why they didn't look at that at the first place. Like what, what other tournaments are in that weekend that made them not look at that weekend? Because that's the perfect, it's kind of like the perfect place to put it on that date in between music city and DDO. It's not that big of a drive. So um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much my initial thoughts is why didn't we just do that in the first place instead of having all this, uh, apologies and and you know getting the players all riled up and everything I don't I don't think that was what they were intending but that's what happened and now that you have the same date it just makes it look kind of dumb if you ask me but yeah it's been all over the place and that's kind of most of what we touched on last week on Leppy Duels with with all four of you guys was just the communication is out of whack um, and you just mentioned the apologies so let's dive into that part uh, real quick from the PDGA's press release last week. Um, Doug Bjerkis, who is the PDGA Director of Operations on the board, um, he said, quote, we failed to properly assess the impact the Champions Cup rescheduling had on newly announced DGBT Europe 2024 schedule of events. New practices are being put in place by the DGBT and PDGA to ensure this does not happen again. So, Again, you know, one of the things Brian talked about um, in his statement last week was that we needed an official apology immediately. He recommended calling each of the players that were signed up for the Champions Cup, um, but instead we just get a, a blanket statement and a press release from uh, Doug Bjerkis. But, you know, talking about that, the apology quote there, it's short and sweet, 
but I want to focus on the new practices are being put in place um, by the DGBT and the PDGA to ensure it doesn't happen again. Why are we just talking about this now? Um, I, I've said it since I was running for the board of directors and everything. I think the PDJ is more reactive than proactive in almost every single aspect of what they do. Um, and I, I have a problem with, with that. I think that it, it's just being, be proactive. Let's, let's just do these things so we don't have to run into these problems. You know, that's, that's what I've always said. Um, so I think the apology was exactly how the PDJ does things. It's short, sweet to the point. They don't really go into too much. Um, but like, I don't know, man, I just, it's, it's all about being reactive. That's what I think the PDJ does. I think when something happens, they're reactive and they react quick and they don't really vet the whole thing that they need to vet to see where they need to get it, things done the right way. Um, and I know this is probably gonna be something that brought up, but, um, when it comes to like tournaments and majors and scheduling, we have a professional touring players committee that's in place. Um, and you could, you could reach out and ask these these players because these players are right on the ground all the time and they're always their gears are always running they're always asking questions about why do we do things like this why do we do things like that and i think if you just ask them and have them brainstorm together and get the players together i think that you would have an easier um uh, tunnel to to the right path you know what i mean especially with tournaments and majors and scheduling um, we don't like to drive 17 hours to a tournament you know like it, and we don't like to do stuff. I mean, we just don't like to do stuff like that. It sucks for us. And I think that we've, we have all the experience and the people in the PDJ, they just have the, the experience of paper pushing and, um, you know, making decisions and uh, most of them play, but they're not on the pro level. And so I, I don't think they take in account of all the things that happen uh, with the players on tour. So I just think being, being more proactive would probably be a better option for the PDJ. And I've said that since day one, um, just being proactive, quit being so reactive, reactive. It, it causes things like that just happened. The players got all riled up. Everybody kind of got riled up. So I just be more proactive with these things instead of reactive. That's, that's how I feel. Yeah. And if you back up uh, a couple of years to the creation of the champions cup, we had the same problem. They, they introduce a format to try and get this fourth major in there that the players did not appreciate and had some serious backlash and then the PGA had to back up and, and flip things around again. So the same, the same issue, um, well, same tournament, different issue. Uh, but the same base issue is a lack of communication between the players, what they want and the PDGA and how those things can be executed, um, in a professional manner that puts on a good event for everybody involved. Um, and it happened again, which is the disappointing part here. But yeah. you brought up the the Pro Touring Players Committee. Um, Andrew Fish is currently the, the chairperson there on that committee. Um, he had a quote in the press release kind of just talking about the, the future of the Champions Cup. But the last sentence of his quote says, the players are grateful that their concerns have been acknowledged and they intend to collaborate closely with the PDGA in navigating similar situations in the future. So again, same thing I just asked, which you just answered. Um, why is this just happening now? Why are changes happening now? This isn't the first issue, but I want to hear your point. You know, you're not involved on the DGPT like you used to be um, as much. However, you still have that same mindset. So when he says players are grateful that their concerns have been acknowledged, is that just a blanket statement to kind of act friendly to the whole situation by fish or is, is he really meaning that and happy that their concerns were acknowledged? 
I think it's both. Um, I think it is a blanket statement to just kind of cool those things down for everybody. But also it's probably true, like <clears throat> the PDGA and the Pro Tour are two separate entities and they still have, they both have a players committee. Um, so it's like we, for the PDGA to have the players committee, I think it's more for like scheduling and for rules changes and things like that. And for the Pro Tour, it's things that directly have to deal with the tour itself. Um, but I think he's right. I think it's like finally maybe the PDJ are listening to the players and taking some of their, um, you know, their advice into play now. And I think that's a great thing. And I think for the future, that's what they should do. And maybe this is a great example that they could use the players to help them figure out issues that they don't really um, maybe not understand, but like they don't really worry about as much as they worry about like memberships and, you know, uh, money drives or, or whatever the PDJ does. Um, I think that th it's a great statement by Fish, actually. He's um, Fish is a very smart dude, and uh, he really cares about disc golf. He cares about the players. He cares about the PDGA. He cares about the Pro Tour. That He's the perfect chairperson, um, and I'm just really happy to have him representing us players, to be honest. <clears throat> okay, so let's continue talking about this committee a little bit because obviously it hasn't been used properly. Um, over these past couple of years and, and it reared its head um, over the past three weeks here with the champions cup. So what needs to change, um, you know, structurally within the PDGA and within this committee, in your opinion, just off the top of your head immediately in order to make this relationship work. Active members. Um, I think active members in the committee is the biggest deal. There's a lot of committees on the PDGA. <clears throat> and when I was on the board, um, there was a lot of committees that didn't have active people. So things just don't get done. So I think there needs to be some kind of way that they can just keep active people on the committee. So things are always getting done. You know what I mean? I think that's the biggest thing. Um, when the players committee was created, <clears throat> we had seven or eight players on there, but only one or two of us were active. Um, and now uh, being a part of it, there are still, there's a lot of active people now on the committee, always giving their ideas and always, um, you know, putting emails in there and things. And I think that's really what it is, is just having people who are really gung ho about the sport and being active and really passionate about this game and what they do. Um, and I think the same goes for the PDJ. Those guys at the PDJ, they're really passionate. I, I like fell in love with most of those people on the PDJ that work for the PDJ or the PDJ board. Um, and they're real passionate people. They're real people who have real good feelings for the sport and for how the players are treated and everything. So <clears throat> I think just being active and just like always brainstorming is going to be the biggest part of this in my head. I, I just always coming up with new ideas, fresh ideas and being proactive instead of reactive. Do you think the chair of this committee needs to have a seat on the board even um, to have more pull in the regard of, you know, just having a direct liaison between the players and the PDGA board that's making these major decisions so that if a decision gets made, the player can really hit that player on the board can really hit home the fact that, Hey, people do not appreciate this, but also, Hey, the players knew this was coming and that this was a discussion versus like we've been talking about here, a retroactive decision that's reactive um, by the PDGA when they make that change. And the initial decision is not inclusive of the player's thoughts at all. Um, Man, I like you're gonna have to repeat that question because that was kind of a long question, to be honest. But <laughs> it was it was long winded. Uh, do do the players need somebody a direct oh, liaison sorry. on the on the board? 
I don't think they need to necessarily be on the board of directors. Um, when I was on the board of directors, it was hard. It was so hard to like maintain your game, maintain your focus, maintain your practice and get 25 emails a day, three phone calls a day, be on conference calls, go to meetings, all this. So I don't think they need to be on the board itself. I think what we could do is have them at the, uh, the summit meetings and um, you know, the chairperson just like an, as an advisor, um, the PDGA board, has a lot of advisors that that give them, you know, advice on future projects or things that are happening in the now, um, you know, like Daniel Stork Roddick or um, it used to be, I think he might still be on it, but Chuck Kennedy used to be an advisor. So people like that, I think with a good set mind for the game of golf, uh, disc golf would be a, a great thing. I think we should have some, a player representative, a representative on, you know, not necessarily the board, but the uh, the, the meetings that they have. I think that would be a great thing. Boots okay. on the ground, man. Boots on the ground. Yeah. It's always the no, best thing. Absolutely. Um, the one thing that came to my mind is if you look at major sports in the U.S., they've all got their players' union um, going on. And not that this is directly related to that, but there's some parallels. Um, but that kind of comes the, – the direction I'm going with this is they've got somebody, not a player, but someone who's – pure job is to represent them and now we can get into the money aspect of disc golf hey we don't have enough to play this pay that guy and maybe you could also argue that that guy or girl that's kind of the head of that players union is more reflective of the dgbt versus the players relationship than the pdga itself but do you think maybe that needs to happen in this case with the pdga uh, it's it's hard to say. I think uh, for the for years and years, man, I've heard about a union for players. Um, there's one sport that I look at that doesn't have a union that's been trying to have a union for for years, which is ball golf. They they still don't have a players union, um, and I think that's kind of where we see the LIV and stuff happening is that we don't have a players union in golf. So I I don't necessarily think that we need a players union yet. And the reason why I say that is because the the main reason that I, when I joined the board, I tried to work on a players committee was to stop the talk about a players union. I wanted to, I wanted to bridge the gap between the PDGA and the players and try to get everybody on the same team. Because sometimes you see players out there, they're just not happy with what the PDGA does. And sometimes the PDGA is just not happy with how the players talk about them. So it's like I, I try to bridge that gap. So I don't know if we absolutely need a union yet. I think that maybe we just need to utilize the players committee that that has been created and let these players speak and on their on the players behalf and and try to get things done that makes sense to the players and to the tournaments and to the, the scheduling of the tour. Absolutely. Thank you for those points on the union. I think it's important to bring up because it comes to people's minds and the question gets asked, but there are answers to why it's not in place. So I'm glad you said that, Trevor. Um, the other part of this is we talked about both of us now, the PDGA being very reactive in the way they they approach solutions to things. Um, this might be a, a flip on that and maybe an unpopular opinion, but the players also have some reactiveness as well on their end. And I want to... I want to know from your perspective, what needs to change from the player's side communication-wise to the PDGA and making their opinion clear? Because I think you could argue from a PDGA perspective that the players' voices, yeah, they weren't necessarily included here early, but a lot of the decisions over the last couple of years have been very uh, player-motivated after the fact. Somebody doesn't like something, rallies support, and then kind of speaks out. So, Talk about that a little bit. What needs to change on the player's end? 
Well, I think that's a really tough question um, because until we can just as players or I can't even say we anymore, I'm about to move to masters. So I can oh, <laughs> so no, I think we as the players should just play golf. Right. But we have to be able to play golf without having to worry about these things. Um, because in all of sports, you see LeBron James flop or he gets fouled and he's yelling at the ref. I need to, what's my call? Where's my call? I think that's always going to happen with players. They're always going to be reactive to things. Um, especially when we are playing for the money that's on the line or we're playing for that trophy or whatever it is. But I think that, I think they just need to play golf, but that comes from the sponsorships, actually getting the players paid enough to where they can just focus on Frisbee golf instead of, um, worried about how they're going to eat the next weekend or how they're going to get to the next tournament or anything like that. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. Like I, I, I'm, I'm the weirdest player out there. I've been playing for so long and I'm reactive. I'm very reactive to certain things, but it's only when it's detrimental to my game and to my pocketbook. Right. And I think there's a lot of influence of, of, um, there's a lot of influence from the, the bigger name players. Uh, I don't want to say any names, but, uh, sometimes people get on Instagram or get on social media and they say something and then it's because, of who that influence is, then it gets back real quick to somebody else. And then they start working on something or it's just like, I think a heavily influenced game right now by the pro tour, by the PDGA and by a few big name players that um, the only thing I think we can do as players is actually learn that there is a players committee out there and that we have to have a way to bridge that gap. So we can get to the players committee and we can talk to them with our concerns instead of airing it on social media. But I've said this for a long time. That's another reason why I created the players committee. And that's a, one of the biggest reasons is why the PDGA board and the PDJ pushed through the players committee for the first time in 20 years. Cause there's been so many people try to create a players union or a committee. And the, one of the biggest things was that I told them that, Maybe this will stop people on social media from lashing out and tagging the PDGA and every single thing that's wrong. Maybe we can actually bridge that gap and get players to talk to players who are closer to the PDGA so they can get that information to them faster, more secure, and less dramatic. So what needs to change on the player side then, Trevor, now that you say that social media is, it can be a weapon, especially for people and players that have that influence and that following on there can kind of get their message sent with more vigor um, quicker than they would going through the PDJ committee potentially is maybe where their mind's at. So what needs to change from not the player to PDGA relationship, but the player to the player committee relationship, where does that gap needs to be bridged? Yeah, that's a tough question, honestly, because really, I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. I think that maybe they just need to play golf and, and let the players committee, you know, or the, the committees all in general, because there's majors committees. There's, there's so many, there's like 15 or 20 committees, um, and they just go through a bunch of different things. I think they just need to let the, the committees do the job. And if they need to really get something out, then they really need to do the research to find out who they need to get a hold of. Or we as the, not we, I can't even say that anymore. The PDGA or the players committee need to show them how to get there easier. And there needs to maybe be a quicker and easier way that we can, as players, get to the PDGA committees um, and, and air our concerns. Maybe there needs to be some something um, from the committee that allows us to get to them easier. Okay. So be better ease of access is definitely yeah. an area for improvement for the players to get their, their opinion to 
the people that can make a difference. Yeah. Um, so that that's important. I think that's a con, um, a conversation that's going to continue to be had over the next year or two um, here as things continue to ramp up. All right, the final domino that kind of fell. We talked about this last week on Lepi Duels as well. From this whole situation is the the Ledgestone impact. Obviously, Ledgestone is branded as the the largest tournament disc golf tournament in the world, obviously driven by the amateurs, um, but a very, very highly touted uh, professional event um, as well. So Northwood Black is out of the picture for MPO and FPO. We talked about this last week. You were on this question, Trevor, as far as, hey, does the you know, the, the status of the event change at all um, as far as how anticipated it is? I lost this question too, just to let you know. You did. You did. Um, I come from an interesting standpoint here as someone who works for Ledgestone. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed Northwind Black won't be featured, and I think it brings an interesting wrinkle into the event. So you only had a minute and a half to talk on this last week. Go ahead and expand on it if you want to before we dive a little deeper. Yeah, I think the the one thing about switching uh, IDGC to Northwoods Black is I think they wanted to keep it a woodsy course because we're changing courses all the time, and I think they really wanted a tight woods course um, to um, showcase the players and their their game inside of the woods. So I think it's a great change keeping it in that wooded you know kind of feel there and, and getting the same kind of course feel. Um, I, I still don't think that there's a, a – I still don't think that this, it's a huge impact. I think that we used to play, you know um, – God, we, we, what did we used to play, man? It's been so – I've played that court tournament so many times. Um, we, I think we played your, uh, Eureka four times one year in Ledgestone, and it was it was yes. awesome, right? Like, and, yes. and it was um, – there was a lot of uh, uh, score separation and everything. I think what's different now is that all these players have played that course five, six years in a row now. So it's kind of um, – it's it's getting easier. And I don't, I don't want to say easy because it's not an easy course, but – it, for the players who are there all the time and they're grinding all the time, that course is getting redundant now. It's getting repetitive. It's the same shots over and over. Oh, I've thrown a buzz here six years in a row. I'm going to throw my buzz again, you know, or, or what have you. But I, I don't think it it does kill it in a way because the players love to play Northwoods Black. But then again, like, it's harder to get cameras out there. They've had issues for many years trying to keep the cameras networks up um, for live coverage out there. Yep. Um, and then you have VIP holes where only a certain amount of people can go watch these holes. So I think it like actually gives the tournament a more of a, an awesome like feel. Like if you look at, you know, the, the tournaments in Europe and their big open courses, they're playing the same courses four times in a row. There's a whole bunch of people down the, the fairway line that looks freaking awesome. You know, it looks so cool watching all these people, thousands of people watch the Frisbees fly. So I think if it, if, if the tournament gets to that level, and we have all these spectators watching, I think it doesn't really kill uh, the vibe of the tournament. I think it actually brings more of an awesome vibe, like a major feel to it, if you have all those people watching. Plus, like I said, it's, it's you know, you have the huge leaderboard there. Like, it's it's right there. You've got, you know, Tournament Central there. you got the Fly Marts there. you got all the food vendors there. There's enough parking there. Um, uh, Northwoods Black is such a crazy fiasco when it comes to parking. Um, you know, so I don't really think it kills it too much, um, especially for the people who work at Ledgestone. I think it makes it easier for those people like Nate and all these other people who work there. I think it makes it easier for them. I think it makes it more accessible for the, uh, the fans. 
I think the only only thing about this that's bummer is the players don't get to play Northwoods Black. I mean, I know fans love to watch that course and all, but man, they have so many troubles with that place with live footage and stuff. So I don't I don't think it's really that I don't think it kills it. I think it just gives it a new dynamic, really. I think as far as event wise, you touched on it and you nailed it. The spectator aspect to this and the event management um, aspect to this makes the appeal way higher. If you're a spectator trying to buy a, a ticket to go watch this thing and and hang out for the weekend in Peoria, you just nailed four days of of great viewing versus what you said at at Northwind Black, where it's very limited and you've got to get the VIP pass to go watch it. Now you get four days as a regular spectator at at Eureka. Uh, or sunset fantastic upgrade for for the fans at home or sorry the fans at home that are going to watch um i think the one thing i do want to touch on quick before we let you go here is the the repetitiveness um for the players not necessarily absence of northwood black but the repetitiveness for the players playing the same course four times in a row potentially here um that'll be the only time that happens on tour now except for the majors. So this would be the only tour event, regular tour event that has that happen. Touch on that quick here in our final minute. Yeah. So I, I don't, I think it sucks to play the same course over and over and over and over, but it also helps us with travel. It also helps us with the staying situations where we're staying and stuff. Um, so I, I like what they're doing here. I, I, we get to see Northwoods black for a major four rounds at that place. And then we get to see four rounds at Eureka for Ledgestone for that coveted trophy that I think is the biggest tournament under a major that everybody wants to win right now, the biggest money prize and all that. So I don't really think everything changes here. I think that um, the one thing that I would say is I had it on my head and it kind of slipped away. Oh no. Uh, yeah. I, I don't really think it's a, I don't think that um, having four rounds there and being, I, I do remember what I was going to say. Anyways, I think having it four rounds there is going to be fine. I think spectators get this awesome, friendly feel. You got a Casey's uh, gas station across the street and go get pizza and go get a soda. You got the cool little Italian restaurant across the street and get pizza and everything. So I think for the spectators, this is amazing. For the players, it's actually good because we don't have to travel as far and go back and forth. Um, but the one thing I will say is if they want to change it, if they want to help it out a little bit, do what golf does. Change the hole just that much on the green and it changes the hole entirely. If you take hole one and you push it further up the hill, it's going to be tougher. If you change hole two and you bring it in, you know, or go a little further or like 20 feet to the right, closer to the OB, it's different. If you have it closer to the water, people's minds change. Like you change, it changes your whole mind. My dad, we have a private course at my dad's house and my dad likes to put, he has four different pin positions and they're all 30 feet within the original pin position, but it changes the hole so much and it changes your mindset so much. So I think if disc golf actually just changed holes on the greens every once in a while, pin positions every once in a while, especially at a four tournament round, our four four round tournament, um, I think it would make it a little more interesting because it really does mess with your mind when things change that much, especially when you're playing the course for six years. Thanks so much, Trevor. Awesome thoughts there to close us out on this week's episode. Those of you guys at home, I want to hear your thoughts as well. Go ahead and toss something in the comments. Uh, this is a hot topic, Champions Cup related. Go ahead and say something on that regard or talk about Ledgestone. As a fan, is the appeal raised for you having all of the rounds at uh, Eureka Temp for the men and uh, Sunset Hills for the women? I'm curious to know what you think on that. Otherwise, 
Have a great week. We'll see you all next week for a full episode of Leppy Duels. Until then, keep your head in the game, as Josh always says. Have a good night.